such a pleasure to gather again with you for this hour of prayer. And I'm going to bring a meditation to guide our time, to inspire our time from the epistle to the Ephesians. I've been in Ephesians in a specially intense way lately, both in uh, preaching messages at my church here, but also at a very key time when the nature and unity of the church is uh, forefront on everyone's mind. But I want to bring a word regarding prayer specifically, because uh, Ephesians speaks greatly to this. I think that the last two years have been, in many ways, the rise of the video conference, hasn't it? For all of us who have started working remotely and praying remotely, like who'd have ever thought we'd be here like this now for uh, running on two years? But we know that this kind of amazing technology also has some really awkward quirks. Uh, you've all been on a call at some point on video where uh, it seems like no one's listening to you. You can't get a word in edgewise and people keep talking over you when you have something to say. And then someone notices that you're trying to speak and they say, hey, Andrew, you're on mute. You got to pop the mute button off. It happens right here in this call, right? And then Stephen has to remind us to open up the microphone. I remember, oh, I don't know, months ago, our brother Curtis Knapp, he gave a really funny illustration of um, how you can get going on a phone call and then you hit this period of silence and your, your, your phone partner doesn't answer you and then you realize, oh, the person's actually been gone for about a minute as I carried on about whatever I had to say and uh, I was speaking to nobody for a while. <laughs> and it got me thinking how uh, sometimes prayer can be a bit like that. How do you know that God can hear us? How do you know we're actually speaking to anyone? How do you know that we're not on mute and we need to hit something so that he can actually, we can actually be part of the conversation. Well, I think that in this group, we wouldn't be here if we didn't know and believe that God could hear us. But what we're praying for, revival, spiritual revival, is an extraordinary thing. How do you know that even if God can hear us, he can do what we ask? Well, uh, that's what I want to try to answer for us from Ephesians, looking at the prayer of Paul that ends chapter 3. So look down at Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21. But the, the, the focal verse I want to look at is verse 20. Um, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us. That's how Paul begins to end his prayer. This God who can do all things. This is why we come before him like this for revival. Okay, let's look at these pillars for prayerful confidence. And I'll give you three that I believe 
emerge from Paul's prayer here. In verse 14, he begins to pray for the church in Ephesus. He bows his knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to his, the riches of his glory, he might grant us to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in our inner being. Why? Why do we need to be strengthened with power inwardly? Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you will be rooted and grounded in love. Love is the first pillar that I want to point out here. He points out in verse 17 that we're to be rooted and grounded in love. That's, that's our love, our, our behavioral and active love as Christians. That we, we treat each other in love. We respond and act always towards all people inside and outside the church in love. So our, our lives, our faith are rooted and grounded in love. But it's, it's not just our love that we're to know, but it's Christ's love, as he continues in verse 18. He prays that we, the saints, would have strength to comprehend what's the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. That's Paul's prayer for believers, to know the love of Christ. And of course, this knowledge is a, it's not an academic mental knowledge. It's an experiential life knowledge. It's a, the word means to be able to grasp something, put your hands on it. You want to be able, he wants us to be able to grasp the love of Christ in an experiential way. He says, he even says that the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. And that means that it, it involves more than just head knowledge. It, it's, it transcends mere knowledge. That's the first pillar of prayerful confidence that I get from this particular prayer. The second one comes in verse 20, where we began. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. So the second pillar is power. I want you to notice how Paul piles terms on each other in this verse to try to try to express in himself the infinite ability and power of God. He says God is able to do. He's able to hear and act in response to our prayers. God is not idle. He's not the inanimate tabletop gods of the pagans. You might go to someone's house nowadays and still see gods hanging on the walls in frames, gods sitting on an altar top somewhere in the home. God is not like those inanimate gods. He's able to do. But he's able to do far more abundantly. This is a, a mishmash of words that Paul makes. It's like a hyper superlative. That means like way more than more, infinitely more or immeasurably more. More than what? More than all that we can ask or think. Even before we speak, even before we ask it, or if we can't ask it because 
it exceeds our imagination. God knows it all. Isaiah says his thoughts and ways are higher than ours. His thoughts for us outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. God's really, really powerful. But then Paul finally says in the end of verse 20 that his power acts according to. It it acts according to something, a plan and a purpose. That is to say that though God's power is supreme, it's not haphazard. It's like a a fast-moving train, but it runs on rails all the time. It doesn't go anywhere and everywhere. It runs according to. And and what is it according to? The, uh, the, The power at work in us. And earlier in the epistle, Paul makes it clear what he means, that the same power God used to raise Christ physically from the grave is the same power he uses to quicken the dead man spiritually from sin. That's each one of us on this call. All the faces I see on this video, his power, resurrection power, is at work in us, and his ability to answer prayer works according to that. Amazing thought. That's the second pillar. Third pillar is glory, and that appears in verse 21. Paul ends this prayer with a doxology, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God always acts for his own glory, but his glory is not like it's not like this, the selfish ambitions of uh, other gods, these capricious, um, uh, sometimes nefarious gods of Greek mythology, let's say, or, or other um, pantheons. God acts for his glory through the church and Christ Jesus, her head, through the head and the body, through the groom and the bride. It's this cohesive thing, and glory will be his throughout all generations. That's the past, and forever and ever, that's the future. It's never going to end. That's why we are gathered here as the church universal to beg God to to do it again. What you've done in the past, God, what we read of in these history books, do it again, and do it even more. Do it in a way that is apt to 2022 and where we live and the challenges the world faces today. These three pillars then, love, power, and glory, they stand like these mighty supports on which our prayerful confidence can rest. Just to give you an idea, imagine imagine just do a thought experiment with me if any one of these pillars were missing or weren't true of God. Okay, so let's say God weren't loving, but he was all-powerful and he always acted for his glory. Then you couldn't come to him like that trusting child in the scripture, in the gospels, asking his father for good things, for bread, for a fish, nourishing spiritual food, because God might give you a scorpion or a stone. He might trick us. Or imagine that God were loving 
and glorious, but he weren't all powerful. Well, maybe he can't actually do what we need. He can't help us in our infirmity. He can't, he can't heal that impossible situation. He can't open up an exit when the army is in front of us and the sea is behind us. Well, that would certainly change the way in which we can pray and put limits on what we could ask, right? Imagine if God were loving and powerful, but he didn't act for his glory. He didn't involve the church in the glory of Christ. He just went off and did what he wanted to do, and we are kind of left out of the picture. Well, that, that certainly changes the, the way we can enter into the joy of the Lord and the hope of our calling and looking forward to revival. These three pillars, love, hope, and or love, power, and glory, without these three, our prayers would fall. We could not gather in the way that we're gathered now to pray. We could not say amen to the sister or brother that's prayed behind us and add our faith to these things. But thanks be to God. The reality in scripture and the reality we all know in our hearts is that we have every reason to believe God and to approach him with prayerful confidence because of his love, his power, and his glory. Amen.